the morning of December 6th, 1917, railway dispatcher Vincent Coleman went to work from his home on Russell Street in the neighborhood of Halifax's North End, known as Richmond. <clears throat> he left his wife, Frances, looking after their young two-year-old daughter, Eileen, dressed in a cheerful blue dress handmade by Frances. It was just a short five blocks to his workplace at the Richmond Railway Station. Working only a few feet from a harbor with its busy piers, his job was to control the massive rail traffic generated by the crowded wartime harbor um, of Halifax. So, as Coleman uh, relieved the night dispatcher at the telegraph that day, off in the distance there was a muffled crash followed by a column of black smoke rising from the rows of parked freight cars in the front of the station. The French munitions ship Mont Blanc had caught fire after a collision. Suddenly a naval officer burst through the door and warned everyone that the burning Mont Blanc was full of ammunition and was about to explode. The sailor had been sent ashore by one of the naval officers responding to the blaze, one of the few people who knew of the deadly cargo. Coleman started to leave with his boss, William Lovett, uh, the chief clerk at Richmond, but then Coleman decided to turn around and go back to the telegra telegraph key to send one last message. You see, Coleman was especially worried about uh, passenger train number 10, the overnight train from St. John, New Brunswick. It had over 100 people aboard and was due to Halifax at 8.55. Within minutes, it was due to pass next to the blazing Mont Blanc. His message to that train was as follows. Hold up the train. Ammunition ship a fire in harbor making for Pier 6 and will explode. Guess this will be my last message. Goodbye, boys. And then at 9.05 a.m., Mont Blanc exploded. The enormous energy released tore through the ship at 1,500 meters per second. In an instant, Mont Blanc was transformed from a ship and into a three-kiloton bomb going off in one of the most busiest harbors in North America. Pier 6 and the ship vanished in a column of flames. Rows of boxcars were literally vaporized while others were hurled through the air. Coleman's station was a mere 750 feet from the center of the blast, and it disappeared. It was crushed by the blast and buried in, in debris from the railway yard as tidal waves rose from the harbor and roared back and forth across the Richmond yards. You can still see the water stains in his wallet at the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic today. His watch speaks grimly of the violent forces which descended upon Coleman as its glass cover and hands were blown clean off and its back was pounded as if by hammers. Coleman no doubt died instantly at the telegraph key 
More than 1,700 people were killed by that explosion. At least 9,000 were injured, and many more were made homeless. The first time I learned about this story, I, I couldn't help but, but wonder about what Vincent Coleman's mind was going through when he gazed outside of his office and he saw people walking around after he would have received the news of the imminent reality of their situation. He would have seen children playing in the streets. What was going through his head? People just casually going about their business, unaware of the danger. If he fled immediately, and this is where my mind goes, if he fled immediately, could he not have ran five blocks back and saved his family? Maybe they could have gone into a cellar. Maybe that would have helped their chances. But because he stayed behind to send that one last message, over 300 people were saved. I look at this and I believe that there should be, that there should be a, a powerful correlation between the convicted heart of this man, Vincent, and that of a fully devoted follower of Christ. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for, one, for one's friends. I think of all the people driving through the drive throughs right now. I think of the people walking on their treadmills, looking at the screen on the wall. I think of the children playing in, in the various um, uh, playgrounds and parks. Do we, as Christians, feel this sense of urgency to save people from the consequences of sin, both immediate and eternal? Is this thought tugging at our hearts? Jesus demonstrated a relentless heart of compassion that landed him eventually on the cross. By, the act, by, by this very action, Romans 5, 8 says that Jesus, demonst, uh, Jesus um, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here we have the beating heart of God's mission to restore, to redeem, to reconcile us to him. To seek out and find that which was lost. And so with that today, I want us to explore this concept of, of mission. What is it? And why should it wreck you for normal life? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for the privilege of living in a place where we live. As we consider this morning a, a place like Afghanistan where it's incredibly hostile for people who believe Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Something that we often take for granted. And so, Father, may we be good stewards of our resources, our thoughts, our finances, our attention. Lord, may you work in and through us to be a salt and a light in a world that is both bland and, and dark. And so, Father, we just pray that we would worship you as we consider the calling that you have placed not just on those who are willing to buy a train or a flight, a bus ticket to a cross-cultural experience, but for, for us who are all accepting your name, for those of us who are living 
um, recipients of your grace to, to actually live out your mission wherever we're at. And so, Father, we just pray that you would guide our hearts this morning. May you transform us. May you change us in the likeness of your Son. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You know, when we considered missions, I remember when I was a teenager, I, uh, I thought missions was boring. Uh, I remember being in youth and the church that I was going to at the time decided to have a missionary come in and start talking about missions. And it happened to be this really sweet old lady. But man, she did not spark um, a passion for missions in me. I'm like, wow. So I guess missions is for senior citizens. So maybe when I'm 80, I'll go, I'll go do it. <laughs> you know? Well, it's time to die. Let's go preach in uh, North Korea. You know, it's like, no. We often talk about missions as if it's like a plural thing. We, we, we throw an S on there, right? We make it plural. But, but there's one mission that is lived out in different, expressing itself in different ways. There's only one mission in regards to humanity. And we could see this mission uh, laid out to us in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where it says, All authority... Jesus is saying this to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven. I don't know what the sound effect for that would be, but I'm sure it would have been awesome. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely... I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I think often we treat mission as if it's like an option, right? Like it's like a bonus feature on our uh, DVDs. Like, oh, one, I can even do missions. Ah, maybe when I'm 80, right? Missions is no more an option to a Christian than loving your spouse when you decide to marry them. It's worked into the framework. According to Matthew 28, 16 to 20, a.k.a. the Great Commission, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to make disciples. Essentially, we're making disciples. This act is the very way that we bring God's kingdom to earth. This is the way that we do it. This needs to be our primary focus. This needs to be the lens, our worldview that we put on, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's our mission statement. We do this through mentoring. We do this through, um, through walking alongside and journeying with people, equipping. We do this through growing and going. Growing and going. When Jesus was showing his followers how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, 10, he said... We are to pray to God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I know that as we consider this, <laughs> if we're honest with ourselves, I believe there's many of us with this teeny tiny little voice in the back of our heads that's like, right, that sounds good. But really, what's the point? I mean, I'm a Christian. I've... I've Yes, I'm, I'm all for Jesus, and I'm all for supporting missions and this stuff. Um, but isn't everything here destined for destruction anyway? Really? You know, can we use a better way to use our uh, resources? You know, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. So yes, it is true. Everything here 
has an expiration date. Our bodies, this cool-looking pulpit, it's a really nice stage. Looks nice for now. Everything has an expiration date, but it hasn't happened yet. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Our job isn't to completely engulf ourselves with the many details of Christ's return, but the mission he has placed in our lives in the here and the now. There is still so much work that we have to do. And when Jesus comes, I don't know about you, but I, want to be, I, I do not want to be caught doing nothing. I don't want to be caught... Uh, what I, I want to be caught in mid-ministry, doing everything that I can to draw as many to him as possible. And yet we have to remember that it's a lot more than this doing. Mission isn't just something that we do. It's, it's who we become when we take on the mind of Christ. God's heart, at the end of the day, God's heart is for the lost. If yours is not, why isn't it? Do you love people? And I say that, I ask that with all sincerity. Does Peter Clausen love people? Because Jesus did. John 3.16. He loved people so much that he, he died for the entire world. His own creation. So whether we reject him or not, unearned favor has made its way to everyone's doorstep. There's nothing you can do about that. It's there. We need to love people the way Jesus loved people. This point is so important because our love for each other sets us apart from the rest of the world. John 13.35 says it uh, by saying, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how are we doing with that? So with that, I would like to jump into the, the book of Matthew, chapter 25, 31 to 40. This is what, what Jesus was saying in uh, the book of Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right side, and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom God prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, <laughs> when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and, and give you something to drink, or, or when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison to visit you? The king will reply, truly. I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
your love for God is manifested in the way that you love people. Your love for God is manifested in the way that you love people. And not just the ones that you love. Your family is easy to love. Uh, Unless you have a brother-in-law, Dan. But for the most part, the ones close to us, the closest ones, those are the ones that are the easiest to love. But Matthew 5, 43-44 says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That makes sense. Hate this guy. I'm just going to continue hating him. I love my kids. I'm going to love my kids, right? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> oh, man. Jesus is always taking what comes natural. He takes the cultural norms and he throws it into a tailspin. The Greek word for this selfless, unnatural, God-like love, the Greek word for it is agape. It's, it's the most powerful form of love known to mankind. It is a love so great, it can't be contained to a a container. It just flows up and over and spills its way even to the enemies in our lives. Living out God's mission is, I would say, impossible unless we value people. I don't love people. I love God. God's one who created me. I'm just going to go right through the middle guy. I'm just going to love God. It doesn't work that way. Because God's heart is for people. Genesis, first book in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Listen to this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, him male And female, he created them. I want to point out two very important words in this passage. Image and likeness. Image in the ancient Hebrew is tzalem. Tzalem means uh, form, a carving or or, or cutout, image, a phantom of something. And then there's this word likeness that's being used here. That's demuth and Demuth literally means a pattern or form or likeness, resembling of. And so these two words are basically interchangeable. The author could have just chosen one or the other, but he chose to put both of them and connect them together like Lego blocks. Both of these words mean the same thing. But through these two words, though they both mean the same thing, in the Hebrew language, when you put those two words that mean the same thing together, it's meant to amplify the meaning of the text. It, it, it throws a supercharger right in there. You're not just made in the image of God. We are made in the image likeness of God. My wife isn't just pretty. She's, she's beautiful pretty. My kids don't just behave. They no, we'll keep that at one word. They just, they just behave. <laughs> Whether the person is a family member or a terrorist, both of these people, the, both of these humans, are made in the image, like, image likeness. I remember when we went to New York, we're taking this tour, and, 
and uh, the New Yorkers are like, yeah, this is where the bad guys took out the, the Twin Towers, you know, and they seek to vilify humans and say there was, you know, they're complete villains, right? And it's like, though man has it in them to do atrocities that will make your head spin, we have to work it out, though, at the same time that at the end of the day, Though it's horrible what we do, we are still all made in the image of God. And that's sometimes hard to process. If you love God, it should pain you to know that there are people bearing his image likeness that are starving on earth right now. It should tear at you knowing that there are people on earth right now made in God's image likeness that are being sold into human trafficking. It should tear you apart knowing that there are innocent little human beings being killed through abortion. Millions of them every year. Little innocent babies made in the image likeness of Christ. When was the last time you wept for the lost? Now, I know it's easy for us to weep for the unsaved family members that we've been praying for. But I'm not talking just about them. I'm talking about the everyday, ordinary people walking the streets of Leamington. When was the last time it just weighed so heavy on you? Those working in the grocery store tills, those people going through tomorrow's drive-thru, are you burdened for their salvation? Pray today that the Holy Spirit will increase your compassion, will expand your grace, and overall love for the lost. If nothing else for my sermon today, that is my desire for us all this morning, that we would feel this indescribable passion to see people come to know Jesus. It is a very dangerous prayer to ask the Holy Spirit to do this because it could incite an action that may cause us to do things we're uncomfortable with. But it's beautiful. Many of you all engaged in the sermon series we just completed last week, uh, which was about spiritual healing. And man, that was an incredible series. God has used it in so many beautiful ways. Because, and it's important because it's often the trauma of our past and the pain of our past that often hinder our ability to view humanity through God's eyes, right? It can keep us from capturing God's vision for his mission. What perfect timing that this series concluded right before a missions month. Because it's difficult loving people, especially when people have caused pain in our lives, right? God is moving through your healing. And as you heal, doors begin to open in your ministry. And that testimony only serves to increase your reach in your life. 
what the enemy meant for evil, God can turn for good. So grow a burden for the lost. Develop a heart that breaks for what breaks God's. I visited this church uh, many years ago, and I noticed a sign propped up over top of the doors as you left the church, and it said, your mission field starts here. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Your mission field starts here. I love that. But then I thought to myself, wait a second. Doesn't your mission field start wherever you are at? Whether you're in the building or out of the building? It's where you always are. Missions is more than just a geographical exploration. It's more than cross-cultural experiences. It's a lifestyle that reflects the heart of Christ. Where you see that, you see missions happening. It's you mobilizing the gospel. As a Christian, you must be a missionary. This is, this is not an option. When you go to class, you are not just a student after you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. When you go to class as a student, you are a missionary that happens to be a student. And your school is now your mission field. Uh, a little proud moment for me as a dad. My son came home uh, last week. He's a, how's your day? Good. You know, this happened, that happened. I'm like, cool, cool. And I'll say, yeah, I led someone to Jesus. I'm like, what? Does that happen in grade five? I thought you were all basically heathens. And so I was like, <laughs> I'm like okay, you're going to have to unpack this. He said, yeah, I was sitting on the bus and uh, we were talking about stuff. And I, I asked him, are, are you a Christian? And the boy sitting next to me was like, no. Well, do you want to be a Christian? I was like, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> what, what happened? Well, I asked him, I told him, well, you have to believe that Jesus was real and that he died for your sins. And you, then you have to give all your life to him. I'm like, you said it that way? Yes. Did he? Yep. And we prayed. Wow. And then he cried. He cried? Why did he cry? Well, Dad, he gave his life to Jesus. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) There's five-year-olds in buses leading other five-year-olds to Jesus. And I'm like, yes! You know, that's, that's what it's about. You're a missionary on the bus, whether you're in grade kindergarten to wherever. You know, you're no longer just a trucker. You're a missionary that happens to truck. That CB is a very powerful weapon for the gospel. I keep talking to truckers who's got these incredible stories of them doing some, the most powerful ministry uh, through, through their job. You know, you're not just a mom and you're not just a dad. You have the most important job of us all. You get to be missionaries to the next generation, your children. No matter what you do, you should be pointing at to Jesus, through your integrity, through your character, through your interactions and words. These circles of influence that we, all of us have, are gifts from God. I want you all to think right now very intentionally, and the chances are a, a name even popped into your head as I'm preaching this. I want you to intentionally think about your circle of influence, the people God has placed in your reach. I don't have the same people in my life that you do and in the same rapport as you do. People you have contact with on a regular basis, stories you get to be a part of. 
We can be hope to the hopeless in our circle of, in, in our circle of influences. We can be the salt and the light to the bland and the dark places that we have a grasp of. I remember working for a labeling factory when I was a young adult. Um, I went to church. I did all the right things. I played on the worship teams. I led Bible studies. And I hated my job with a passion. I can't even begin to explain to you how much I hated my job. My attitude became so bad that I started to deal with uh, toxic thoughts and depression. And I started to resent all the non-Christians that I worked with. I remember praying to God, asking him why I couldn't get a better job. Because Lord knows, I tried. I handed out resumes. And then it hit me. This thought. Maybe I was there for a reason. Could God use a guy like me, as messed up as I was in that moment, could God use me in this dark place? And so then I decided to switch the way I thought and be intentional about building relationships and encouragement. And I met some very interesting people. One person in particular that sticks out to me, this, I'll call him John, he wanted to fight me at first. Once he found out that I was a Christian, he made it his mission to destroy me. He was a very interesting person, he was very intimidating. He had satanic tattoos over his body, he had long hair, he was, a, he was big and built. One day, I had the opportunity to work with him at the table at Cutter 4, sorry, 3, and uh, he decided to take his time to yell at me for all the atrocities the church has done in the past. I decided to patiently hear him out and allow him to vent. He would yell things like, you Christians, you think you're all oh, so much better than everyone else? And I responded by saying, you know what, yeah, you know, Christians really struggle with pride sometimes. It's, it's not very good because it's not what Jesus demonstrated. But it's still a struggle. And then that caught him off guard. And he would yell at me, Oh, you Christians, you, you build your beautiful, amazing churches while there's people out there who are starving and homeless. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Sometimes we miss, we miss the point and we put so much stock in physical things like buildings. And that's something we need to work with. Because that's not what Jesus taught. And, and so he kept getting caught off guard. And it came to a point where my team leader took me aside to another cutter and in secret said to me, Hey, Peter, should we put you on a different cutter? You see, most of the people there saw how much he was yelling at me and kind of felt bad. And they were too intimidated to actually address him. So they decided to just move me. And I said, no, 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 no. This is good for me. I like this. <laughs> okay. So they let me go back. I'm like, okay, John, sorry, you were saying? Oh, yeah. And then he would go and we would have this back and forth. And it got to a place where we, he, he out of breath, just started talking about what love was to him. And then it happened. Out of breath, John looked at me, connected eyes, and he said, Peter, I respect you. <laughs> okay. And then he said, now besides the belief about the afterlife, I think we're pretty much the same person. And so we developed a relationship that ended with him breaking his 13-year absence from church. He... Uh, He uh, came to our wedding, super cool, <laughs> standing up there, I say, all right, waiting for my bride, and then I see this big guy come in. I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, broke his 13 years silence from, from the church, 
and uh, ended up telling me that, um, that, uh, that Jesus has really affected his life. And there are, there's so many stories of God just doing miracles through different testimonies. Now, I don't know a lot of things. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but what I do know is I want to go out with my boots on. What I mean by that is I want the last thing that I do here on earth is live out the gospel. I want to to make disciples. I thought a lot about the railway dispatcher, Vincent Coleman. His last transmission here on earth saved hundreds of lives. Church, we have the opportunity and the privilege to save eternal lives. Is your heart in a place where you are doing this? Is your life sprouting from a place of love? Do you know what love is? John, 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ do, uh, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives for our brothers and sisters. That conviction for people needs to reside in our hearts. Ask the Holy Spirit to help remove the barriers in your heart that are keeping this from happening in your life. And as this does happen and will happen, the field of God's mission will open up to a ripe and beautiful harvest. Let's pray. Father, this morning we want to thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice that we get to be recipients of your grace and, and know that we have this beautiful salvation that we get to live out in the here and the now and experience for the rest of eternity. And so with that, God, help us to now also at the same time feel the burden for the lost. That we would want to engage in organizations and in people and in situations that many people would try to avoid. But in order to break light into this world... God, sometimes our hands have to get dirty. So God, help us to be a church that rolls up our sleeves and engages with people in love, that we are able to engage in the beautiful harvest that you've laid before. The Holy Spirit's been planting seeds throughout COVID. The Holy Spirit's been very busy. So God, help us to be able to be um, keen to your guidance and know how to engage with people with the gospel. Pray these things in your name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday.